faith is based on facts. The fact that Jesus came and that he died and that he rose again. Facts such as witnesses to the resurrection who, who saw and heard and even touched the risen Christ. John focuses so much on fact to combat the false teaching of his day. Those teachers who were focused more on feelings and philosophy. But that doesn't mean that there is no feeling in our faith. No feeling in our journey with Christ. But much like the doctor in our opening story, John has given us what we need. The truth of Jesus. The truth of the gospel. And the truth of pure fellowship, koinonia. And so now in this last section of his letter, John is in essence saying, you have the truth, the rest is up to you. Well, here John makes the goal of his letter clear. He wants Christ followers to have a full understanding of the benefits of fellowship with the Lord and to understand that the benefits of following Jesus are far superior to anything that this worldly system that we live in can offer. And so today, let's take a look at some of these benefits that come from choosing to pursue fellowship with the Lord. The first benefit that we want to look at is the benefit of eternity. Take a look at verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now we looked at this verse last week and we focused on the idea of complete and pure knowledge, that idea, certainty of knowing that the Christian possesses. But today, as we look at it once again, we want to focus more on this idea of confident expectation. Do you feel that in those words? In this key verse, John brings together all of the facts, all of the reality, all of the evidence that he's been talking about through this letter, and he says, here's the bottom line. Let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf where everybody can get to them. I've written this so that you will know that you have eternal life. This is our promise and our possession from God. We can know that we have eternity. So many people over the centuries have been told just the opposite. They've been left with the impression that having eternal life was one thing that a person could never know for sure. But today we want to know we want to believe, we want to understand that God does not want us living with that kind of uncertainty. God wants us to know that we possess the best benefit of all. Certainty of eternity if we are in Christ Jesus. Those of us who believe in Jesus have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, have been added to his body, the church. We can know for certain that we have eternal life. We live in an age of uncertainty, and we have something that we can be absolutely sure about. God's Word doesn't leave us guessing about our spiritual standing. Assurance of salvation is trusting God's affirmation that we are indeed His children, that we are protected by His power and His promise. 
Assurance comes from understanding God's plan of salvation, recognizing God's unchanging love, walking in obedience to him, in love towards others. The promises of Scripture and the internal witness of the Holy Spirit help us to understand and to experience this confidence. Through God's Holy Spirit, we have a clear awareness of our reconciled, redeemed relationship. That is the benefit of eternity. And our confidence extends through this life and into the next. We don't have to have the fear of future judgment. We don't have to have the fear even of present circumstances because we live in confident expectation that Jesus has us with him. And he then provides more benefits, other benefits. So we have the benefit of eternity, but now because we have that confident expectation, it impacts how we live day to day. And one of the ways it impacts us is in how we pray. And so let's look at this next benefit. The benefit of access. The benefit of access. Sheldon Yellen manages a a $1.5 billion company that operates in 31 countries across the world. It employs more than 7,000 people. And he does it all without one of these things. He's the CEO of Belfort. It's a privately held property restoration company. And he only uses a 90 styles flip phone. And here's what he says. He says, you can't show or feel emotion or compassion or intent through a smartphone or through a text. Having a flip phone, he says, encourages phone conversations, which he strongly prefers to texting. He says, if someone has something to say to me, they know they can pick up the phone and I'll answer their question. I'm approachable and I can't convey that through a text. Well, then he goes on further to explain. He he gives a story. He says, "A, a young man was trying to get a meeting with me and to sell me a product. And finally, after three months, he got his appointment. And he's sitting across from me, and three times in the first 10 minutes of our meeting, he looks down at his smartphone and he starts texting. Yellen told the young man, I'm not trying to be rude or arrogant, but I think you're going to have to go. I'm not asking you to get down and bow before me, but you just spent my time texting with someone else while you're sitting with me. You got to go, young man, and one day you're going to thank me for this. Pretty stern, right? Phones are not allowed in any Belfour company meetings. There's an unspoken rule that no one brings their phone. Mr. Yellen says, my thinking is let's have our meeting. Let's get on with it. In a lot of situations, we even have a basket outside the room where people place their cell phones. He says, I want people to talk with me. I want them to hear my passion. Well, it doesn't matter whether you love these things or whether you hate them. The point is this. As a child of God, you have direct access to the CEO, the main man, the creator of the universe, the savior of your soul. Talk about a fringe benefit. We have direct access to the sovereign Lord of the universe and we can express our deepest needs, 
our love, our thanksgiving, our hurts, and we can do that at any time, and he gives us his full attention. Let's take a look at verses 14 and 15. John writes, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked for, from him. And so our status as God's children grants us boldness in prayer. We are free to ask for whatever we want. But the closer that we get to God, the more in tune we become with his will. Prayer is certainly not some sort of blank check. God isn't our heavenly vending machine dispensing all of our favorite treats. And so John qualifies our access about, with, of prayer when he talks about a condition, a caveat that our prayers, he says, will be effective if we ask anything according to his will. You see, when we pray, it's, it's not to change God's mind. It's not to manipulate circumstances to our advantage. It is thy will be done, not thy will be different. So sometimes God's answer is no. Sometimes he has a better plan. If God doesn't want something for us, we shouldn't want it either. So instead of presenting a list of personal requests in our prayers, perhaps our prayers should be more like this. Lord, help me to want what you want me to want. I'm asking, Lord, for things that reflect your will. You see, when we pray this way, we're admitting that we don't really know what's best for ourselves or for our situation. And so we come to God seeking perhaps what we think is best, but admitting, understanding that we don't know everything. And so in prayer, we seek God's purpose, understanding that his answers are wiser than our own prayers. Nearly 150 years ago, the great preacher Charles H. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give but an occasional pluck on the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. And so may we exercise this great and precious benefit of access and may we do it with boldness and with confidence. And when we are in fellowship with Christ, we then possess the benefit of eternity, the benefit of access. And then finally, we have the benefit of forgiveness. The benefit of forgiveness. Our standing is so great before the Lord, our access so direct, that we can seek God's forgiveness. Not just for ourselves, but for others. Now here we are coming to one of the more difficult and misunderstood passages of Scripture. There are probably 
a hundred different ways of looking at this particular passage. Whatever commentary you pick up might have a different slant on this. And whenever we come to a passage that might be difficult or hard to understand, we always want to step back and remember the context. Lest we get caught up, caught up in chasing obscurity or misunderstandings or get pulled into false teachings. So let's take a step back and remind ourselves one last time, what is it that John wants to communicate here? Let's keep in mind that John is trying to give his readers, that's us, assurance and confidence in the midst of a culture of uncertainty. To read this passage any other way is to miss that point. So what is this simple, straightforward point? We can have confidence knowing that God hears and answers our prayers when they are in accordance with his will. So then that causes us to ask, what is God's will? What is God's greatest will, his greatest desire, his greatest purpose? Well, John reminded it of us, it to us just a few chapters back in chapter 3 in verse 23 when he said, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. The Apostle Paul also reminds us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, as those who have been saved, there is no more important thing we can do. There is no, nothing more in line with God's will than to pray for those outside of Christ and for brothers and sisters who are weak in Christ. This is where John takes us in this text as we have this pure knowledge of the truth. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother or sister committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give, uh, give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. Now, there is a sin leading to death. I'm not saying that he should ask about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. Well, we know that God will hear us because we are in a relationship with him. So how can we use this great benefit, this great access that we've been granted? Well, we have some responsibility in how we use it. John says, anyone who sees another Christian committing a sin, not leading to death. Well, wait, we've got to stop there and say, what does that mean? Not leading to death. Scripture teaches us that sin leads to death. All sin leads to death. And yet here, John says, there are sins not leading to death. What in the world's going on here? This is where the context becomes so important. Throughout this letter... John has referred to two types of sin. We've talked about continuous sin and one-time sin. We've talked about a lifestyle of rebellion to the things of God versus periodic disobedience. And so I believe that the sin leading to death is the continuous sin. Sin a person continually chooses regardless of the consequences. 
We've talked about this, that in John's day, false teachers were leading God's people astray with worldly philosophies that devalued the gospel, that minimized the resurrection, and that denied that Jesus was God in the flesh. Earlier, John referred to those types of teaching as antichrist. Those who teach and believe such false concepts are against Christ and are not our brothers and sisters. Thus, our responsibility is not to pray for them. The sin not leading to death, I believe, is the occasional failure on our part to live up to God's standards. And so we are called to pray for one another as we see one another struggling and stumbling along the way at times. We already know to pray for each other. And here, John is giving us a specific example of how to pray according to God's will. If we know a brother or sister in Christ has fallen into sin, we are called to pray for them. It is God's will for us to pray for one another in our weakness and in our struggle. And so many of us, myself included, need to get past the point of pretending that we have it all together and learn to confess our faults to one another and request the prayers of brothers and sisters. What a difference could be made in the body of Christ if God's people would get sincerely honest with one another and pray for one another to be healed of our sinful struggles. You see, so much of our prayer life is focused on ourselves. And here, John is teaching us that our prayers, according to the will of God, should be outward-focused on others around us. The great benefit of forgiveness is extended to each one who pursues a life of fellowship with Jesus. And so may our prayer life be less about ourselves and more about one another as we make our way through the difficulties of this life, as we remind one another of the benefit of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, there's a story told of a photographer for a national publication who was assigned to get photos of a big forest fire. And wanting to, to take some aerial pictures, he asked his home office to hire a plane. And so they made all the arrangements and they told him to go to a nearby rural airfield where the plane would be waiting for him. And so when he arrived at the airfield, there was a plane warming up by the runway. He ran with his equipment and jumped in and he yelled to the pilot, let's go, let's go. And so the pilot swung the plane into the wind. And soon they were in the air. Over the, the sound of the plane and the propeller, he yelled out, fly over the north side of the fire and make three or four slow, low-level passes. The pilot said, why? The photographer said, because I'm going to take pictures. I'm a photographer. That's what photographers do. And after a short pause, the pilot said, you mean you're not my flight instructor? <laughs> wow. You see... We live in a confusing world, and things aren't always the way they seem. Isn't that true? People aren't always who we think they are. 
And so in this world of confusion and false information, when scientists are regularly changing their theories and politicians are changing their stances, John assures us that there are some things that we can know for certain. There are some truths that cannot be denied and will never change. And some benefits that we can always be sure of and confident that we possess. John says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so this morning, may the benefits of eternity and the direct access to God and the forgiveness that we receive, may these benefits embolden us to live faithfully in Christ And may we use these benefits to encourage one another through this confusing life as we pursue the journey of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful to have been called out of the world of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And Father, today we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ to remember the extraordinary sacrifice that you made in sending Jesus, your beloved Son, to be with us. We thank you for his his legacy in words and actions and obedience all the way to the cross. Lord, we come to you now to ask for forgiveness for any thoughts or words or deeds that have not honored your name. Father, we are truly sorry for the times we've chosen to live selfishly rather than to heed your calling. So, Father, today as we share together in this communion meal, Father, we pray that you would come and bind us together as one family filled with your love. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that is at work in our lives. And, Father, we pray these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.